Welcome to Current Conversations, Gloucester County, Virginia's first podcast, hosted by the Community Engagement and Public Information Team. We are here to bring you anything and everything you need to know about our amazing community. I'm Gloria. I'm Selden. And I'm Quentin. Our goal is to inform our listeners of important county information, current events, and stories about the people that make this community such a special place to live, work, and play. Episodes will be available on the county's website or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. For this pilot, we will be revisiting our recent current conversation with Dr. Richard Williams, MD, MPH, and Director of the Three Rivers Health District, and Lisa Laurier, Population Health Manager, also of Three Rivers. Listen on for the latest COVID-19 updates and information. there. My name is Gloria Williams. And I'm Quentin Shepard. And we're with the Gloucester County's Community Engagement and Public Information Department. We are truly honored and excited to share some time this evening with some very special guests. Dr. Richard S. Williams, MD, MPH, and Director of the Three Rivers Health District. And Ms. Lisa Laurier, Population Health Manager, Division of Community Health, also with the Three Rivers Health District. Thank you both so much for being here tonight. We really do appreciate you all taking the time. Uh, We know how incredibly busy you and all of your staff have been in what seems like an eternity, but uh, we're we're creeping right up on about a year now of going through this. And uh, um, we we just appreciate you and the information that you're able to provide and the information you've been providing um, so steadily along the way. And thank you for speaking with us tonight on this recorded Zoom call so that we can share some important information and updates. Um, Let's kick things off with a brief uh, introduction um, and and a little bit of a discussion on exactly what the Three Rivers Health District is and how it fits under the umbrella of uh, the statewide uh, health district um, as a whole. Okay, so the Three Rivers Health District is one of 35 health districts throughout the state of Virginia. And the health districts are are the field arm of the Virginia Department of Health. The the central office or the headquarters of the Virginia Department of Health is in Richmond. Um, There are other field units that that deal with uh, anything from uh, water quality to to, um, um, shellfish uh, industry, but the, the main field units of the VDH are, are the health districts. And the, and the health district mission is public health. It's uh, environmental health. We have a clinical activities that we do. Um, we have uh, our WIC program uh, for uh, infants and children and, and women. And we have um, uh, our Ryan White program in Three Rivers and um, a host of other things that we do, normally nursing home screenings and, and so on and so forth. And one of our core responsibilities is uh, under the emergency management umbrella is response to any sort of uh, contingency, whether it's natural disaster, or in this case, a pandemic, which is what we're in the middle of now. So I think it's safe to say that um, you all we're, we're beyond busy to begin with. And now with this pandemic on top of you, uh, it's just uh, been, been a crazy, crazy past year. Um, and uh, again, we, we just really appreciate all that y'all are doing. 
Yeah, I don't think that this pathogen is so capable and so contagious and it's stealthy. I mean, it has features, uh, you know, it can activate your own immune system against you. Um, it, it's, it might be totally asymptomatic in one sector of the population and lethal in others, like folk, older folks and so on and so forth. So I don't think this sort of a pathogen was in anybody's planning playbook, if you will. All of our, all of our annual exercises with, uh, with vaccination programs and so on and so forth are aimed at a flu-like like uh, scenario. And, and, and this is much, much light years more difficult and challenging than flu. Um, and it's been steady uh, over the past year. It, it didn't really show a seasonal variation like flu did. So, so we had to ramp up our, our community mitigation efforts with contact tracing and case investigation. Uh, very early on, we had to, uh, you know, ramp up our epidemiology efforts, tracking the data and, and tracking this, this virus as it, as it expressed itself in the population. Our executive order compliance, uh, you know, uh, effort had to ramp up as well as, as many other things, public communication, education, and we had to learn as we went, right? There was a brand new pathogen. Nobody ever saw it before a year ago or a little over a year ago when it emerged from, uh, we think from, from China. So it's been a steep learning curve and a very, very high ops tempo, operations tempo. And now with the vaccine program and the way that's progressing, it's, it's, I would say almost exponentially higher. So it is a very, very challenging um, um, scenario we find ourselves in. Well, thank you for that. Um, and we do know that a lot of things are changing by the minute, by the day, by the hour. Um, maybe if, if you could talk to us a little bit about the new statewide registration system, how it's going, how integration is going, and, and what that means for a typical citizen. Yeah, when, when we were ramping up or when we were leading up to receiving vaccines, these are all, all the vaccines, whether it's Moderna or Pfizer, Johnson & Johnson, Oxford, AstraZeneca, none of these things existed a year ago. So, so they... They were, they were designed, they were developed, they were manufactured in record time. They went through their all phases of clinical trials in record time. So we didn't really know what we were gonna get until the uh, you know, November, de really December timeframe. And we, we didn't really understand it well until it arrived on our doorstep. And we were able to see for ourselves the, the requirements to use, especially the messenger RNA vaccines, the Moderna and the Pfizer. So we, we really had to adapt our, our vaccine core emergency response, which is flu, to this very, very complex uh, uh, vaccine uh, uh, that both Moderna and, and, and Pfizer produced. At the same time, you know, we, we started off with, uh, from the um, um, Advisory Committee, Committee on Immunization Practices of the CDC, we started off with a prioritization of folks uh, in phases. Phase 1A was the healthcare providers. Phase 1B started off 75 and older and some frontline workers. That was expanded by the, the Secretary Azar in the Department of Health and Human Services just a little over a month ago to include a whole lot more people. It, 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 it more than doubled the pool of eligible folks. So when we started this, and then again, we had to design all this de novo, 
and each health district had to meet the need immediately. So we, we all did very similar sorts of things, but not identical with regard to developing sign-up lists and so on and so forth. Phase 1A, we had plenty of vaccine. We were able to learn to, learn to use the vaccine. We had a target population, which was not huge, healthcare workers. So, so that phase went pretty well. And most of us were done with that within about four weeks or maybe a little bit longer. But as soon as phase B started, uh, and we, th then we had to figure out, you know, how we were gonna record the people, how, how we were gonna reach out and find out who wants the vaccine. Um, and, and at the same time, looking at the central frontline workers and in industry and, and finding out where those employers were and creating ways to reach out to them so what we ended up with was a methodology where people could contact us and pre-register for a vaccine. Uh, and almost every district had that capability. Um, when phase 1B opened up, about the same time, we entered a severe vaccine shortage at the national level. So that created a perfect storm of delay that we're still in. So the lists of people waiting grew by the thousands and in some cases, the tens of thousands. And it became pretty obvious to the central office that it would be much better if we had one way for all Virginians to sign up for a vaccine that was common across all the health districts. So the, the call center was, was a, an attempt and is an attempt to, um, to provide a, a single point of contact for, for COVID related questions for opportunities to sign up for vaccine, to be led through the vaccine pre-registration process. And, uh, and eventually uh, the plan is to, to leverage that to lead to appointments for vaccination. You know, some, some of them may be centrally modulated, some at the local health district, but, but that, that was the idea. The, uh, at the local level, we were, we're not very well staffed. Uh, we certainly were in no way staffed to deal with, with a pandemic of this duration and a pathogen of this, of this ability. Um, and we've had to ramp up with, with hiring contract folks in various roles. But if, if the burden of, of calls and, and pre-registration and, and even appointments for vaccines if that could be done centrally, then it frees up the health districts to do community coordination and organizing vaccination events and setting up the infrastructure. We really, to, to distribute this vaccine, we not only have to have our own health department points of distribution, but we also have to coordinate with all of our clinical partners. In Three Rivers, we have three different hospitals representing three different healthcare systems. We have pharmacies, we have private uh, medical practices, we have free clinics, we have federally qualified healthcare centers. And all of those folks are capable of delivering vaccines and many of them are signed up and approved by the CDC to do so. So to, to leverage all of that vaccination capability, we have to, to uh, uh, work together, collaborate, organize all that and, and, and bring our maximum potential to bear. And in having the central call center relieve us of some of those sorts of responsibilities has the potential to help us uh, a great deal to, to pay more attention to that sort of stuff, which actually leads directly to getting, to getting shots in people's arms. 
that's that's great news. Definitely a step in the right direction. Um, so, what if any changes uh, can people expect over the coming weeks regarding vaccine dissemination? You know, we're we're still in the throes of a of a very uh, a very high grade vaccination vaccine shortage. Uh, I don't know the ins and outs at the federal level, but um, but we're um, I, I imagine that, that we are across the country. We're pretty much depending on the real time manufacturing throughput of both Moderna and Pfizer. We that they will hopefully soon be joined by Johnson and Johnson, but I don't think there's a great reservoir of J and J vaccines that could be disseminated either. I've I've heard several million to begin with, followed by by more after, but um, I I think that um, the the vaccine shortage will will be resolved over time, but it'll take time to do it. I don't know, and so I, I think the ramp up of, of available vaccine it won't happen all at one time. It's going to be gradual. So so that's very disappointing to all of us. Uh, if, if somebody told me that I'm eligible for vaccine, for vaccination, I, I would take it for granted that if I'm eligible, then the capability to vaccinate me must exist. Okay, that's a logical thing to think. But in point of fact, the capability probably does, but the vaccine is not there. Um, so we're using this time, you know, we, we are, uh, we're getting only in Three Rivers only about 20, 20 to 25, less than 25% of the vaccine weekly that we're capable of delivering, okay? So we're using this time to organize ourselves, to leverage the strength of our clinical partners, to set up infrastructure that once we do get vaccine, we can ramp up to scale and get through this as fast as we possibly can. So that's, that's what we're doing with this. The Johnson & Johnson vaccine is a single dose vaccine. The, the Pfizer and Moderna have two doses. If you think about that, if I if I if I deliver you know 100 shots today, and, and that's my capability, well, 28 days from now I have to deliver 100 shots. It's it's more like capability is more like 500 plus, right, for for each entity. But but it it really encumbers your vaccine capability with that second shot you know, 21 or 28 days, whenever you encounter it. So it really cuts the speed of your effort in half, uh, having to do two shots. One shot with J&J, &J, it's kind of like flu. It's not as delicate as the Moderna and the Pfizer. It, it, if you shake a vial of Moderna or you drop it or you, or you drop a vial of Pfizer, it, it breaks the mRNA and it really renders the vaccine um, unusable. If, if there are temperature violations, then that the vaccine becomes unusable and the temperature requirements are strict. J&J, &J, much easier. In a single shot, we can move much faster. So we're all looking forward to getting that. Well, thank you for that. And it's just, it's really helpful to just understand all the pieces that are working and how involved and um, that you are <laughs> at every level. And I'm glad to hear with the call center. Um, and the changes that are coming online that the health departments are able to continue doing what they do best, which is working in the communities. And just, it's been, you've done such an incredible job and we appreciate it so much. Um, so many people are operating under the assumption uh, that once they become fully vaccinated, they can return immediately to normal life. 
uh, no masks, maybe social distancing. Um, what what message do you have um, that what net message needs to reach those operating under that opinion? Yeah, and th this is a very strong message. So we th this this virus is is very adaptable and it's genetically drifting all the time. Coronaviruses tend to do that. And this was a, is, is no exception. Uh, that combined with the fact that we really don't have very much experience at all with these vaccines at the population level, there's a lot not known about them. We, we know that they reduce uh, serious disease. They're capable of reducing serious disease to mild disease. We don't, we're not sure if you're vaccinated, if you can't be reinfected. Uh, if you are, we think there's evidence emerging that, that if you're reinfected after or infected after vaccination, that the viral load is much lower and you may not be able to transmit the disease as well. But it, there's pretty good evidence that, that you can get infected again after vaccine, or at least some people can. Some people may be protected fully, but we can't count on that. If you couple that with the fact that this virus is genetically drifting and, and some of the most critical mutations are at the spike protein. The spike protein is what the virus uses to attach to our, the cells in our respiratory system to invade our bodies. So if that spike protein, if the, if the genetics controlling that spike protein mutate and the spike protein changes, then our vaccines, which are engineered to target that spike protein, may be less effective. That, that's the virus's way of evading our, our defensive measures. The other thing is these viruses, these, these new variants tend to be more infectious. So they defeat or they potentially defeat our countermeasures on a number of ways. They, could, they might defeat social distancing. They might, and that make that, you know, Infection is based on, on the amount of viruses you inhale, right? So the way you inhale less viruses is, is there are three things, distance, time, and a barrier to, to viral, to inhaling or exhaling virus. Those are, that's, um, you know, the social distancing, six feet or more, the time, 15 minutes or, or, or less in, in the presence of somebody exhaling COVID. And then the mask does filter out viral particles. So all of those things work together to limit the dose if you do happen to encounter a COVID positive person. Well, these viruses are evolving and genetically drifting to potentially defeat those things, as well as change the spike protein, which makes the vaccine, the antibodies that the vaccines develop, not as effective. Now, there are other parts of the immune system that are also active here, T cells and other things that that, that, that are good. So the vaccines will, will undoubtedly remain at least somewhat effective, but we can't count on complete effectiveness. So what that means is after you get vaccinated, it's especially with high community transmission levels, and we're still in high community transmission levels, it, it's not a good idea at all to stop defensive measures. You still need to, to do exactly what you were doing before. And we'll know when we can come out of masks and we'll know when we can you know, limit social distancing, when the virus loads, when the prevalence of the disease drops to very, very low levels across the country. That's when public health authorities will start telling us, hey, we're kind of getting ahead of this thing and it's okay to relax some of your defensive measures, but not until then. And, and you spoke a little bit about this, uh, but 
um, you know, we're seeing on the, the news and, and announcements that um, case numbers are declining uh, pretty dramatically, um, you know, locally and, and nationally. Um, do you feel like you can comfortably say we're finally on the downward slope of this virus? I would say that's very, very encouraging. It, it is unusual for a pathogen that's transmitted via respiratory means like flu. flu. Flu season lasts way beyond January and February. It lasts into March and even into April. So th this virus, is we're seeing drops in, in, in prevalence across the country, really during the time when respiratory viruses shouldn't be doing that. So, so that's very encouraging. And that may be due to enhanced protective measures, people are paying more attention. It may be due to some population immunity, probably well over 100 million people have been exposed to this thing, either through vaccine or through infection. A lot of infections are asymptomatic, as you know. So we may be getting some regional population immunity. So the fact that the case numbers are dropping is extremely encouraging. The unknown in this are the new variants, variants from South Africa, United Kingdom, and, and um, um, Brazil that we've all heard about. And just a couple of days ago, there was a study published that, that found seven other new variants that are domestic to the United States that have the same kind of mutation at their spike protein. Okay, so this is probably happening at a far higher and greater rate and extent than, than we even know at this point, and we'll discover when our genetic sequencing capability get, gets a lot better. But those are the unknowns. So if the, if the new variants are capable uh, of causing resurgence of viral infections like happened in the United Kingdom, then, then we might see that. But other than that, the, the, case trend, the cases trending down is very highly encouraging. Wonderful to hear, <laughs> for sure. Um, well, so a lot of people, you know, many people are uh, concerned about children and obviously for obvious reasons and schools are a hot topic. And, um, but people are, some people are interested in uh, information about when children will be able to receive vaccines. Um, when can we expect to see a vaccine for younger children? And um, if you could just talk about children and schools in general, that would be really, really appreciated. Sure. There is thought to be some built-in advantage for kids, especially younger children in, in the early elementary grades and, uh, and, and toddlers, and that they, they don't have as many of the receptors in their respiratory system that actually can, can serve as a target for this virus as adults do. So if, if they do get infected, they tend to be much less, much less viral load and less severe. And, they, and they, they're not as capable of transmitting the disease as, as adults and older kids are. You lose that advantage when you get out of the early into the mid you know, elementary grades and on into middle school and all that. You, you start looking more like an adult at that point. But, but the little kids especially are, are, do have some built-in advantages uh, with regard to less severe, they say certainly can get infected. There's no doubt about that. And there have been some cases of multi-system inflammatory syndrome in children related to COVID. Uh, but that, that is the exception to the rule. Um, there are 
and with regard to the schools, we've, we've shown that with adequate social distancing and masking and attention to those sorts of details, hygiene and, and facility, you know, keeping a healthy facility and doing early contact tracing, we've shown that we can keep kids in school uh, even in high community transmission levels with those protections intact. So that, that, that's been very encouraging. Um, with regard to the vaccine, the, the target population to begin with was those people that, that emerged very quickly as being the most vulnerable, that's adults, especially older adults. It was very obvious very quickly that older adults and people with uh, underlying medical conditions were the most, were the real, uh, suffered the most from this virus. Plus uh, others, you know, people of color tend to, to also have hospitalization and mortality rates several times that of, of, of uh, the white population. So, um, so that's where the, the early investment went. But I think some of the companies now are, are conducting phased clinical trials in children. So I, I think that um, possibly by after the summer into next fall and winter, then some of those phase three clinical trials in children may, may have been conducted for safety and efficacy. And we might actually see COVID-19 vaccination available for children. Uh, sometime in, in the in the fall time frame and into the winter of next year. That's good to know. Um, and and one final uh, question we had was about um, you know we're, we're in a pretty rural area. Not everybody has access to um, you know traditional means of of getting information through the internet or, or um, you know through your website and that type of thing. Um, what uh, what's the health department doing to reach those in um, underserved communities and also those uh, populations that um, you know may not uh, be able to to reach you otherwise? Yeah, we recognize that dynamic immediately. Um, the CDC actually created uh, an internet-based email dependence um, appointment system to that they rolled out concurrent with the vaccine, it's called the Vaccine Administration Management System. And that did not work for us in rural Virginia almost immediately. So, so we went straight to paper with meta, paper records in, in phone calls to, to manage our, our vaccination appointments and our administration and the data, data entry into the uh, inf, immunization information system. Um, the um, we, we set up a means where most, most people can get access to a telephone. So in Three Rivers, we had excellent support from our local jurisdictions from Gloucester County, who set up a call center for us. And then the, the jurisdictions in the Northern Neck collaborated on a call center in the Northern Neck. And, and so people could call that call center and the operators would walk them through if, if, if they couldn't do it themselves, the operators would help walk them through a survey to, to take all the information we needed and record them for pre-registration for a vaccine appointment. We started off doing that with our local health department uh, office personnel and then shifted to the, uh, to the call center. And we also leveraged uh, 
a vaccine eligibility tool that took personal information uh, early on, the, the Jebit tool, you might have heard mm -hmm. of that. We also captured that data and added it to our list. So we've had the whole time the means to do it online or have get help walking through it. And that capability perpetuates into the, uh, into the central call center. Excellent. Well, you have covered so much information and we really just um, appreciate it. And I don't know if there's, you know, Quentin, do you have any other questions? I feel like all of my questions were certainly answered. We could sit here all night, but we know that you don't, <laughs> you have a lot to do. Uh, is there anything, Dr. Williams or Lisa, that you'd like to relay to to our residents that, that we haven't covered this evening? I can tell you from my perspective, I, I entered the workforce in 1975 in the, in the Air Force, United States Air Force. And I had a 27-year Air Force career, followed by 20 years in the National Aeronautics and Space Administration. Started off as a surgeon. I'm a fellow of the American College of Surgeons. And mid-career, after a couple of, um, of contingencies, armed conflicts in the, in the military, I switched to, I'm also a pilot, so I switched to aerospace medicine. And that really qualified me to do the job I'm in. But in my career, I've, I've been in a position of medical leadership in, in every infectious disease event we had. From anthrax in Washington, D.C., we had anthrax in the headquarters mm -hmm. NASA building. I was chief medical officer of NASA then. H1N1, Ebola, Zika, um, every SARS-1, MERS, all of those things. I had global responsibilities during those, during those pandemics. Two, two armed conflicts that I was personally involved in, five hurricanes, loss of Space Shuttle Columbia, mm. um, and, and all of my experiences in fairly high risk situations as a pilot and, and operating as a surgeon, okay? And after all of that, I can tell you that this is absolutely the hardest thing I've ever done. Mm. This, this is a very, very demanding, high operations tempo, uh, almost a 24 hour a day job. It's been that way for a long time. It has intensified with the rollout of the vaccine. And I, I would just ask everybody to be patient, as patient as they can. Nobody wants to get this shot out there and, and, and get ahead of this thing as much as we do in the healthcare industry. And we're gonna work as hard as we can to make it happen. Just, just everybody is be as understanding as you can and as patient. And we will get to everybody that wants a shot, I'm confident, within the next several months, probably by, by summer. I think Dr. Fauci probably is correct. And, and, and the folks in the, in the current administration are saying summertime is a target for having vaccine for everybody. And, and I think it'll take that long, but we're going to get there. Well, thank you for that. And we're so glad that you're here in our district. And just on behalf of Gloucester County, thank you so much. And we're here to support you in whatever way that we can. Um, and, and we're just very glad <laughs> to have you um, and your leadership. So again, to you and to Lisa and to your entire team, just again, thank you for your time, your leadership, your service, and your willingness to share it with our communities. Um, we are safer and healthier because of the incredibly important work that you, our frontline workers, and the many individuals and organizations working together to power us through this crisis. So thank you for that.
Well, on behalf of all the employees of the Three Rivers Health District, and they're all dedicated mm -hmm. and they're all working really hard and they're excellent. And so on behalf of all the employees of Three Rivers and the VDH, it's our honor to be here. It's our honor to serve. And, and thank you very much for the opportunity to talk tonight. And um, just wanted to let everybody know that, that all of the information we discussed this evening, plus uh, you know, up to the minute updates uh, can can be found on the Three Rivers Health District website, which is uh, www.vdh.virginia.gov uh, forward slash three dash rivers. Um, also, Gloucester County tries to keep um, updated information on our website at www.gloucesterva.info. Um, and on our Facebook page by searching uh, for Gloucester County Government. Um, again, thank you, Dr. Williams. Thank you, Lisa. We're definitely, I think, in the best hands that we could ask for. Um, and uh, we just ask everybody to, to remain vigilant, stay safe, wash your hands, and wear a mask. Thanks for tuning in. Check in for next month's edition of Gloucester County's Current Conversations when we explore all things recycling, Earth Day, and local efforts with local people to save the world one plastic bottle at a time. Music